Today's episode of Ferment About It has been brought to you by the Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. For more information, visit brooklynslate.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Planet Earth, how you doing? <laughs> Welcome to Full Men About It on Heritage Redview Network.org. I'm Mary Isaac. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your hosts for this show um, on all things fermentable. We especially concentrate on beer. We are live every Monday night at 7 p.m. And we are also on iTunes and archived again on Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's episode features me. And Mary, <laughs> and we're very excited about that. Um, but we have some guests coming up that are, that are in, in future episodes that are going to be really awesome. Uh, our friends who couldn't make it today, Peter Salmon, uh, Eric, and Oscar Norlander, some of our favorite local home brewers, um, unfortunately couldn't make it, but, but they, we, they will have them soon. Yep. But we're excited. So we're going to talk today about inspiration and, um, and some of our favorite tools in home brewing. Because I think, you know, sometimes you just get stuck in a home brewing rut, or you... You know, you get to the point where you just don't have enough time or you're brewing, you know, you have a disruption in your brewing um, um, regimen <laughs> and you, like you move or, you know, something happens. Um, Which or, is actually what Peter, Peter and Oscar and Eric are dealing with. They're moving because they couldn't be here because uh, they're moving their entire brew house yep. from, from one place to another. Yeah, that's it. Moving is one of the most disruptive things, I think, besides having maybe your equipment destroyed somehow. Um, so there's times when you just get stuck in this rut or you just you don't feel like you have time. You're not inspired to homebrew. So we're going to talk about kind of getting out of that homebrewing rut and also just or even starting homebrewing if you haven't gotten to certain areas in homebrewing. Absolutely. Or, or even on. or even, you know, even if you're not necessarily stuck, but you kind of keep going with the same style over and over um, how to break out of that and, and try something new. Um I did something new this weekend, Mary. <laughs> we just brewed our first beer together at 508. We're starting a collaboration. If you don't know, I'm, a, I'm the uh, head brewer at 508 Gastro Brewery at 508 Granite Street between Canal and Spring. Come by frequently and often. Um, and uh, we're starting a series called Pillow Talk. And so basically uh, uh, me and Mary are making <laughs> a series of sour and smoked beers. And, uh, Which are but, my two favorite styles, if, I haven't, if you haven't heard that from me before. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people are very scared to brew sour beers on a professional level or even at the home level because of, you know, the bugs that, are, that are, you deal with. Uh, the, the bugs I've, I refer to are, are like lactobacillus, retinomyces. Pediococcus, P- yep. acetobacter. So, yeah, a lot of people are scared because they don't want to get the rest of their brew house infected. So I think that's one fear. The other thing is that, that working with these bugs, I mean, Britannomyces is a, actually a wild yeast, whereas Acetobacter and Lactobacillus and Pediococcus are all bacteria. But when you work with these, they're, they're, they're unpredictable. It's not like pitching, you know, a vial or a, or a packet of, um, of American ale yeast. You, you kind of know what, what's going to happen there. You know what conditions it thrives in. And that's not necessarily true with some of these wild yeast and bacteria. So I think yeah, those are the two things that, that keep people from, from brewing sour beers or funky beers. 
but there are ways around that. It's never kept you. I saw, I've seen your basement. <laughs> you have a, or you at one time you had yep. a lot of funky stuff going on down there. Yes, I have a science background, so I don't, I don't know. I'm just not very scared of the funk. I think, you know, I mean, when we, as homebrewers, when we clean and sanitize our equipment, you're basically getting rid of all of that other yeast. And Pretenomyces is just a wild yeast. So there's no reason why you can't. But, you know, keep your brew house clean. Yeah, but the, we, we were talking about Pretenomyces and Pedococcus and Lactobacillus is like one-tenth of the size of the normal yeast strain. So there's a lot more places and more variables and places where they can hide. And so I, I heard eh. on a podcast recently also <laughs> that, that, you know, it, it's not so much of a big deal on a homebrew level, but right. I, I should be scared at a... At a at we're dealing with a lot more different parts and valves and, and a lot more of little crevices where, where these things can, can hide out. And uh, you don't usually want to do that or you want to be very careful if That's you are true. doing that. Yeah. And so our method in doing our first beer, which was Berliner okay. Weiss. Yeah. So our first is called Bangin' Berliner. And um, we were first inspired actually when we had Jesse Ferguson call in um, last, I believe it was in November. It was one of our early episodes. And he talked about his, he had does a Berliner style beer called Monkey Chase the Weasel. Yep. And it's delicious. They actually make, he doesn't call it a Berliner Weiss. He calls it a Berliner Weiss style, I think. Um, and he also adds mulberries to it. Um, and it's just a delicious, refreshing delicious. beer. Delicious. Delicious. And, and he doesn't do it. So both Chris and I, he uses this technique called kettle souring. And when he called into the show, he talked all about how he did the process. Um, and it was super interesting and seemed very approachable, not only on a homebrew um, level, but also to be able to brew this at 508. 508 has a two-barrel system. Um, so it's kind of a big homebrew system. Yeah, I, it's absolutely a big homebrew. And what it is is actually, let's talk about that real quick. It's a it's a Herm system. It's a heat uh, exchange recirculation mash system. Um, and I have a I have a, a temperature control that I have heat elements in in both the hot liquor tank and the boil kettle. But there's no heat element in the mash tun. So. And, and I, have a, I have a control, I have a temperature control on the hot liquor tank, but I don't have temperature control on the mash and on, or on the um, boil kettle. On the boil kettle, we just have on and off switches. But on the on the hot liquor tank, I can set it to certain temperature. So in order to do this sour kettling, or this kettle sour, we had to keep it at a certain temperature. And so I unplugged the boil kettle and replugged it into where the, the, uh, the hot liquor tank was plugged into and set Which it Which is at, a regulator. Yeah. Like a, 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 a temperature. Yeah, yeah, temperature control. I'm not so good on those technical terms. And that, that, it's a really cool thing that keeps the temperature. You just type it in, and there it is. It's magical. Yeah. So the the other thing is, though. So what we started with. I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. We started with Jesse's show. You know, we really re-listened to the show. We had been talking about how to make a Berliner Weiss. I mean, a Berliner Weiss is one of my favorite styles of beer. Chris and I had both made Berliner Weisses in the past, but using more traditional or what we. I, what I used to consider traditional methods, um, whereas I did mine, um, you know, a standard brew. I think I pitched um, a five to one ratio of lactobacillus to Saccharomyces. I believe I used the recipe from Stan Hieronymus's book Brewing yeah. with Wheat, which is actually a Christian England recipe. It's an excellent recipe, um, and I got very good results um, using that. But but again, I'm did not- you real quick? Did you uh, uh, do the lacto first and then pitch a yeast? No, you That's know, a I common think, question for a lot I know, of people. I know, and I don't stuff. have my brewing notebook in front of me. I believe I pitched them at the, the same time. 
I just pitched in a ratio where I had much more lacto than, than Saccharomyces. And did you do it open air or did you do nope, it airlock? Nope, I used clothes, right? I used an airlock, okay. which is different. So, Chris, how to tell, tell yeah. everybody how you did your Berliner. Yeah, I, I got a <laughs> – so I, I actually pitched lacto first, and then I instead of putting an airlock on, I put a cheesecloth on, and I had it in my closet. And I had a uh, – I let, I let all the funk – of my closet get in there and it was it actually turned ended up pretty good but Listen, a little bit I, oh, too man. much uncontrollable stuff in there <laughs> in the end i thought it was good but once it warmed up to a certain temperature too much florida brooklyn uh, and then, <laughs> that closet was packed full of, of a lot of crazy stuff back then too let me tell you <laughs> so those are two different techniques and you know a lot of you know i've had a lot of friends i've tasted a lot of homebrewed berliner vices that were made by friends or people that i've met and you really get varied results i think when you pitch lactobacillus you know depending on your the condition your temperature the ratio of of uh, saccharomyces to lactobacillus um your your wort the um you know what sugars are in your wort that all determines how sour it is and of course time um that all determines kind of how sour it is also you know i got this r- crazy pellicle going on and um it was interesting <laughs> pellicles are beautiful scary. but yeah so we Anyway, this whole kettle souring, I think, once Jesse called in, really opened our eyes. And, and it's definitely more, it seems to be somewhat more of a predictable way to get souring. You have more control, I think, in how much sour. It's faster. Can be. I mean, Can it depends be. on how much. So it depends on how you do it. If we right. were to pitch lacto and do the kettle sour, then I feel like that would be relatively more predictable than how we did it. How did we do it? Absolutely. So what we did is we um, we did the same technique as Jesse. We so w- once we did, you know, we did a standard mash. We mashed low. I think what do we end up mashing at? Like one forty nine. Yeah, one forty nine. So around one forty nine, we used half wheat, German wheat, and half pills. Um, Got it. About ten thirty six gravity going mm-hmm. into the kettle. Yep. So we you know racked it over to the kettle or ran it, pumped it over to the kettle. This whole it really I do. My brewing system now looks terribly primitive compared to brewing on 508's brewing system. I love all the heat controls and the pumps. Um, pumps, are, pumps are great. I don't have a, we don't have a pump in our home brewery well, you yet. You look good in pumps, though. <laughs> but uh, anyway, once we pumped it over to the kettle, we, um, we then... We, we got the temperature, the temperature. Stabilized the temperature first. We got it mm-hmm. down to about 108. And using this PID, this, this control in, in that... Just kept it right there, and then we took one pound of unmalted. Well, actually, and to get it down that far, so we actually topped it off with a little water because we were slightly higher gravity yep. than we wanted. Um, we and, threw cold water, filtered cold water. Yep, and then because we didn't have hours to wait, it was it was Friday night, and it was getting a little late. So we um, actually ran it through a wart chiller to to chill part of the wart. Using said pump, we pumped it out of out of the kettle as if we were doing a whirlpool. Except yeah. this time with the chiller and back in. Yeah, so that was our shortcut. Just you know, that's something that that could be done. Um, certainly, if you're if you're doing this. Um, anyway, so we stabilized it. We got it around 108 degrees. We had a probe. T- actually, we have a probe taped to the side of the um, brew kettle, mm-hmm. and um, we figured out that there was a differential of about 10 degrees between what the probe was and then the the uh, temperature probe that goes inside the brew kettle that you just read but the the probe on that we taped on the outside is the one that is actually um hooked up to the heat regulator exactly so basically got the temp- temperature stabilized yep. and then we took one pound of of grain of, mm-hmm. of pilsner malt yep. and unmalted and just sprinkled it in yep toss it in there toss it in there put some tin foil and saran wrap over the top but we we 
put a CO2 blanket mm-hmm. on because oxygen is not good. Yeah, you want to so you want to discourage other organisms from taking over your your wart at this point. So you we wanted to encourage lactobacillus Production only. and growth only, pr- pretty much. And lactobacillus is naturally on the outside of grain, so that's why we just used we toss some some um, pills malt raw, you know, un. I mean, it's not raw; it's malted, obviously. But it, what we didn't grind it or anything; we just stuck it in there. That naturally has lactobacillus cultures on the outside. Um, but you want to discourage other things like enteric bacteria, which I'm totally re- forgetting the name of right now, and other acetobacter, that kind of thing. So you put. Um, that's why we have it at 108, lactobacillus. I, I was searching the internet, of course, before we, we actually decided to, um, the exact technique. And lactobacillus, are, I came across an article, which we'll put a link to on our website, about kind of ideal growth conditions of lactobacillus. And they really like to be, you, you don't want to get above 130, pretty much. We didn't want to really give, get above 120, because a certain percentage will die out above 120. I think ideally they really like to be at like 98.6 degrees body temperature, but they also will will thrive in higher temperatures as well, whereas other bacteria and yeast will not thrive at those temperatures. Right. So we decided, you know, we wanted it between 105 and 115 and ultimately 108. Um, and then the CO2 takes out the oxygen and lactobacillus does not need oxygen to grow. So we wanted to, again, eliminate any of those other bacteria that might feed on oxygen. So CO2 blanket, we we didn't have a, he doesn't have like a, the, the kettle top is wood and it's not tight. It's not a tight seal. So we put aluminum foil down first and then a bunch of saran wrap and that, that totally worked. It was fine. And uh, if you're doing this at home, which is easy and, and fun, and, and you don't, I mean, you're might, maybe you're not able to keep it at a certain temperature, uh, or you could as I mean, regular as right. regular as, as what I'm able to do at 508. But you can put it in your oven if your oven goes down. You could probably test, or maybe if you have the the if your oven is open a little bit and keep your oven on it at the warm temperature. Check what mm-hmm. temperature your oven is, and then do this for the and basically. Then you just taste it throughout days and for us we left it for 40 hours Mm -hmm. and then and then then went went to a boil yep and yes it was sour and lovely now it's a little weird tasting a sour beer because of course it's unfermented and there was a lot of dms when we first took a taste because of course i mean this thing was cooking basically i mean it's at 108 degrees it's producing a lot of dms dimethyl sulfide and there was nowhere for it it's not we're not boiling it off or anything so that was a little off-putting at first but we had to put that aside when we tasted it's nicely sour it does have still a lot of sugar because of course it's not fermented yet so that was kind of interesting but once we cooled down the the sample i mean i think it's i think it's going to be a great beer and it was a super fun experience and if this works out we have lots more plans we're going to do a kentucky common it definitely worked out and i think that this you know, you can do this for any beer you want. If you like sour, this is a great this is a great way mm-hmm. to do it, and it also keeps your brew house safe. Why? Yep. Because at the end of all this, after those forty hours that we waited and got it sour, we uh, we then boiled it and killed all that lactobacillus. So we got the flavor, but we killed off we killed off the lacto by pasteurizing or or boiling. For right, a very short and we decided to boil because we didn't. If you do a decoction mash. Then you can get your hops. You can do your get your hop bitterness in that way. That's how I did my original Berliner Weiss at home. Is I did a decoction mass and and no boil. So that's how I got my hops in. You really, in order to um, you would only need to bring it to like 180 degrees to kill off the lacto. Right. But because we wanted some hop utilization, um, we went ahead and boiled just for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we we had to add more hops as a result of that in order to get the IBUs that we wanted, which w- wasn't many. I think we were 
or around five five or eight five to eight five IBUs. to eight IBUs uh, with a, and with a low alpha hop we used a low alpha German uh, Hallertau version called Herzbrucker, which mm-hmm. is a really cool really neat hop. Yep, and then we pitched Nottingham yeast last night, and it's fermenting. It's fermenting. The things to be careful are also pH here. Yeah, that's the one thing we didn't have a pH meter. We we ordered one. I think it's being delivered tomorrow. It actually is in my bag right now. It got delivered today. <laughs> so that, that is something that we'll do different in future uh, Pillow Talk collabor- Sour collaborations is use the pH meter because it's it's helpful to take pH readings along the way. I think that's a good way to Finding align. Finding how sour you are and exactly. also making sure that you're not going to kill off your yeast or yep. let your yeast thrive. And also then you can replicate the experiment. So <coughs> you'll know what pH, you know, if we knew what pH we were at, if we wanted to replicate this Berliner, it'd be a lot easier if we had the pH besides just relying on our taste buds. Right, we wouldn't have to taste it all. We would just get it down to that pH and let it ride. Yep. Anyway, we're going to take a quick short break. Thanks for listening for Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn. They found a number of purposes for the slate and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. They now make regular trips to the family quarry in upstate New York to hand-pick their favorite pieces of black and red slate. Some of the slate is sourced from the quarry graveyard, a collection of odd-shaped pieces that were ultimately destined to be ground for use as road cover or baseball diamonds. They then transport the pieces to their studio in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where they do additional cutting and clean the stone to be food slate. Every single piece of packaging that comes with their products, from the envelope to the burlap bag, can be repurposed for other uses. The end result is a product completely unique in cut, shape, color, and overall presentation. For more information and to order, visit brooklynslate.com. Oh, we got to talk about homebrewing. <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary wants to talk about homebrewing <laughs> stuff. Hey, welcome back to Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Chris Kuzmi. This is Mary Isette. And in the studio, we have Jaren David taking pictures and having fun. You can see these pictures. He's an awesome, awesome uh, uh, graphic designer and, and photographer and, and a dear, 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 dear friend. Yep. And uh, if you haven't met him, God damn it, get yourself to New York and meet Jaren <laughs> David. That should be on everybody's list. And he takes mo- the majority of the photos that are on our Facebook page as well as our website. We finally updated our website last <laughs> week. So we will have tonight's episode, our, all the links and all the good stuff that we talk about, probably tomorrow. I can't guarantee tonight. Um, but please check out our website. We'd love to, to get feedback, and, and hopefully you find some good resources. In our first segment, we talked about brewing sour beers at home and, uh, in, at, you know, in basically in, in the kettle, no matter where that kettle is. Uh, and we didn't expect to spend so much time talking about it, but it's because we were inspired and very excited about doing it. One of the things we want to talk about today was, you know, inspiration for homebrewing and, you know, rejuvenating that. And uh, Yep. 
<laughs> so I want to say, well, first of all, before we, we go from the the sour, so these are kind of like what I, my takeaways. A, we needed pH, we ate, we did in a pH meter. We ordered it Friday night. It's now in Chris's bag. So we're definitely going to um, get that. I also used, or I've never used a refractometer before. Yeah. I think maybe great. in Chemlad or, or something, but never at home. So I use, Chris has a refractometer at 508. I love it. I've What's been, a refractometer, ah, Mary? So it's a good way to measure um, gravity. You can't measure final gravity, but you can measure gravity along the way. And you there, can just use a drop. Yeah. You, it, instead of, so it measures the, the, the density of your liquid, right. um, but and it are automatically accounts for the the temperature of your liquid. So you can take a hydrometer reading or a, a gravity reading, you know, straight from your in your boil kettle. Yeah, any temperature in your in your mash down or whatever's happening, you can do that. But once there's alcohol involved, it kind of offsets and, and and messes with the with its structure. There is a there is a a, a graph and a program to, to account for that. I actually uh, don't know where, where it exactly yeah, is. I but know there's one on more bear. It's great because a lot of times, you know, I want to take a gravity reading when I'm boiling at home um, to see, you know, how maybe I'm boiling a little faster than I think. Especially, you know, I just started, bo- uh, I brewed for the first time a week and a half ago on Chris's stove or, you know, what's my stove now and I've never brewed on that. And, you know, I think I boiled it's a little faster. <laughs> still your stove. My kitchen. <laughs> I was boiling a little faster. It would have been great if I had a refractometer because I could have taken gravity readings along the way and known kind of where I was at. Also, you know, it's a new stove. I wasn't sure my efficiency was going to be the same. So I think it's just, it's a helpful tool. They're actually pretty inexpensive. I think I got mine for under $25 That's on really Amazon. Yeah. And it shipped today. I way. like it. I like the refractometer because if you have a target gravity that you're going for that you can you can stop your sparge going into your kettle yep. if you've already reached your gravity or, or you know and then and then top off with water or yep. or well, and you don't well, have, to take, have to over, you know but. you know you don't it, it just takes a couple of drops you don't have to take all the ounces that it takes to fill your hydrometer tube which is a, a huge benefit i think as well absolutely and you don't have to wait for it to cool so you can do it in real time because if you were you, if you were in the taken from your boil kettle and then putting it in your hydrometer tube. Oh, yeah, you'd then you have to, to cool it. For, you have yes, to wait for exactly. it to cool down, then you're losing time while it's, while it's going on and you wouldn't, you know, you, it's brew time. you yep. got to be brewing. The other thing is, is that I do a, a lot of other lacto-cultures, um, lacto-fermented beverages like sodas and ginger bugs and flies and stuff like that. Um, and <laughs> I think that you could actually do kettle souring. I know that some people will kettle sour by adding a packet of lactobacillus. Now, the reason, one reason why you, why we use the grain is lactobacillus is actually pretty darn expensive. I think it's like eleven to thirteen dollars at our local home brewing stores yeah. for one packet. And why, you know, why invest in that if you don't if you don't need to? But that would be a cleaner way than using grain, especially if you're right. not if you can't keep your temperature consistent to to get the kettle souring at home. The other thing is another takeaway is that I want to experience with is using some yogurt cultures, either from straining the whey from from yogurt. And or I bought some. I picked up some yogurt cultures at Brooklyn Kitchen over the weekend, and Brooklyn I'm going to play with those as Aren't well. Aren't you a teacher at Brooklyn Kitchen? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I've I've I'm joining the uh, teaching staff at at Brooklyn Kitchen. We hinted at this last time, but I'm teaching the April 11th Intro to Homebrewing class. Um, you can sign up now. Actually, it's on their website. It's at 6 p.m. They usually run from about 6 to 8:30. Uh, the price is $145, and that actually includes a um, a kit. So it's a really a good deal. I mean, you go home with all the information and the kit to make your first beer. I mean, you could actually start brewing that night. It's an awesome store, too, and, and they're yeah, great people. And they're also store. a sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Right, yep. We so, love them. So I'm going to be – that's 
going to be my first time. I'm either I'm probably going to be co-teaching or teaching, and then I'll be teaching in the future. And I'm very excited. I mean, the other thing is their facilities are amazing. They have an amazing kitchen. It's just it's really an incredible store. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any more take homes from from uh, from the beer that we did? <laughs> no. No. That's it. But, but let's uh, talk about some of the tools. I was oh. about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so we use different tools uh, for the for the homestead and and mm-hmm. there and what I'm talking when we say tools we're talking about actually uh, brewing software. Right. And that was something interesting. So I actually sat in on a um, Dan Pazillo is is another instructor at Brooklyn Kitchen. And I sat in on in his beginning homebrewing class uh, a week and a week or so ago. And it was it's really interesting because a lot of stuff. Even though you know Chris and I go to the New York City Homebrewers Guild, we go to the Brooklyn Brewers meetings. We have tons of friends at homebrew. There's certain things like you never talk about, and brewing software is one of them. Yeah. And Dan uses a different brew software than Ray, who's another instructor at uh, Brooklyn Kitchen, and a completely different software than I use. So I think that's something, I don't know, I love, I use BrewPal. So I used to use a, a Mac-based homebrewing software, and once I, I don't know, I heard about BrewPal and downloaded it, it's, I can, you can use it on your iPhone, probably your iPad too, but it's $1.99, on the iTunes store, and it is a freaking brilliant little app. That is a bargain for me. I think I will buy some. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I would highly recommend BrewPal. It's, like I said, it's only $2. It, I mean, the guy, from when I down, I've probably been using it for a couple of years now. I don't know how long it's been out. At least a year and a half, two years. And really, it's a lot of features have been added in recent updates. It has color swatches. It has a flavor and aroma wheel, hop substitution list. It has the BJCP style guidelines built in. So you use Very it Very customizable. You do, so you've always used it, or at least you have for the past two, three years right. for, for two, yeah. recipe formulation? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is, so it's in my... I mean, obviously, I have my phone with me pretty much all the time. Yeah, kind of all the time. And a lot of times, (laughs) a lot of times, you know, maybe I decide on the spur of a moment I'm going to brew either, you know, the next day. So say it's a Friday and I decide, ooh, I'm going to brew Saturday. I have a couple hours, you know, a few hours free. Or maybe I want to brew after work. And I can go straight, you know, by the home brew store, formulate my recipe when I get there on BrewPal, buy my ingredients, and I'm done. Like, I don't have to go home to my computer and, and figure something out. I don't know. I think it's, I think BrewPal, it's very user-friendly. It's very flexible. It's edited, you know, you can add your own ingredients in. It's a great little tool, especially for $1.99. Yep. Yep. I uh, use that a little bit. I only just, I'm relatively new to using brewing software at all. I mean, even in Homestead, I think I start. I think I got BrewPal a, a year ago when I started brewing with you at your house. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, that's actually pretty nifty to have. And, and it has helped that. But I still I didn't use it for recipe formulation. I really only used it for like to find out attenuation or trying to see where, you know, where things would, where I should be and where I would end up. Right. Kind of stuff. Now it's a different ball game. Shit just got real up there, and I got to be brewing at five oh eight. And uh, and I actually ended up getting um, because my predecessor had, had been using Beersmith. I've moved on to Beersmith, and I, I really like that program. Yeah, and that's as very well. popular as well. They have a yeah. great. I mean, the website's fantastic, and the interface is. You're, I mean, I've watched you use it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same thing. You dial in everything, and it, it gives you the color, and also it gives you the BJCP guidelines. Um, you know, so it dials you in on where you are, kind of within the range, if you want to brew to style or if you want, you know as close as you want to be yep. and uh, it has helped a lot but you have to know the efficiency of your brew house that's where things kind of change and that's right. where i'm definitely learning a lot here at 508 because you know my i'm getting ridiculous efficiency like i'm getting roughly 90 to 95 percent efficiency and i think that maybe i need to you know readjust my mill because my <laughs> grist is, is is pretty 
you know, pretty fine, but, but I'm not noticing any astringency. Right. So it's true. I mean, everything's been okay, but everything I aim at has been just just imperial <laughs> my imperial table beers. You know, it's been pretty fun, but I'm learning. <laughs> So you dial. So you type that into into these things, and yeah. To get the, to well, get the, the other accurate thing is, thing. though, I think a lot of times what I'll do if if I want to look for recipes. I mean, we've talked about this book before, but Brewing Classic Styles by yeah. by Jimmy Jamil. Jamil. Love yeah, him. is a fantastic book. And um, usually, if I want to base my beer on a style, I go there. I look, you know, kind of roughly what they use, and then go from there. I mean, the other thing is BrewPal, and I think mo- a lot of homebrewing software does this, is it will compare, it'll kind of tell you how close you are to the BJCP style. Right. As far as like IBUs, original gravity, that kind of thing, color. And that's helpful as well. But definitely looking at recipes. Otherwise, I scour the internet. I'm a consummate <laughs> internet researcher. So, And there's a lot of, I mean, you have to filter through a lot of it, but there's a lot of very helpful information on the internet. Um I always say to my Saxon students, you know, it's the idea is to learn everything and forget it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you don't have to brew to style at all. Like Mm-mm. these these things are kind of fun. But uh, you it's also good. don't want to go into um, – but it, it's good reference. And once, yeah. you, once you brew it's for a, a while, start. you know what, what's, what, what's going on and what flavors impart – or what, what grains impart different flavors. And, and you kind of – you get a better idea. That's I had true. a fun time going to the – I brewed a collaboration beer with Brian Strumke of Stillwater recently uh, down at 508. <clears throat> called <clears> – <throat> excuse me called Hamber. It's a smoked amber ale. Um, and his met, we just didn't really know exactly what we wanted. We knew we wanted a good amount of smoked malt, and we wanted it to be an amber ale. And then, and, uh, then we just went to the homebrew store, and it's kind of like we did the thing that I usually kind of shun, shun, shun upon. Like, I don't want to just, like, pick this and that and that and then end up with this brown beer. But we were very judicious and got different things and basically really were just got great complexity in, in it, and it was really, really nice. And it was inspiring to do that uh, instead of, like, plan it all out ahead of time. And it was fun different than what i often say compared to like <laughs> yes. I, I was inspired last year by uh drew beecham's talk about the power of oh, one yeah, and right. not using the too many beer. too many too many ingredients and you know when a common mistake is going to to uh, the homebrew store and just like oh i'll use that i'll use that i'll use that i'll use that is that and then it all ends up being this brown beer and sometimes less is more yep so with that actually so another thing besides all these uh, so I actually got this grow mat, which is designed for seedlings, um, and it, it comes with a, a regulator. Or I bought a regulator that goes with it as well. And that's our apartment right now. Frankly, is too cold. To we live in this very drafty loft in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and it's like too cold <laughs> to um, to ferment some of the lacto stuff that I want to ferment. So I don't. I can't remember where I came across this, but anyway, I bought this seed heating mat. Um, it was not very expensive. And um, so I'm going to be setting that up this week and doing a lot of other, you know, my alternative fermentations that I that I love and hold dear to my heart. But the other thing that I'm interested in doing is table beers. So we were at over Craft Beer Week. We were at Josh Bernstein's Homebrew Jamboree at Jimmy's, and Kyler Surface had this delightful Scotch ale. You mean Jimmy from uh, Beer Sessions exactly. Radio on HeritageRadioNetwork.org <laughs> on uh, Tuesdays at five. That Jimmy? Absolutely. Jimmy's a huge supporter of our homebrew community. <laughs> Um, but anyway, Kyler had this scotch ale that was 2.8%. So his wife is breastfeeding and he had made her, he wanted to make her a beer that was, you know, delightful, but yet low alcohol enough that. Wasn't going to get the baby's mask. Exactly. Um, and it was really a nice beer, very drinkable. So I want to do a table beer contest. 
So we're going to ask you guys, it has to, it could be anything, but it has to be under 3% alcohol by volume. And we're going to have more details on this on our website, and we'll talk about it next week a little bit. But basically... Is Kvass legal on this? I think it has to be a beer. But Kvass is uh, a Yes, beer. as long as it has some kind of grain in it. It has to have barley, wheat, some kind of grain in it. So not a, not a, a Kvass from bread or half right. from bread or some grain? Or, or yeah, what? some grain. It has to have some grain. Okay. So anyway, we're gonna we'll iron this out this week, but we're gonna have we're gonna have a um, a party for everybody who enters a beer. We'll have a party at our loft. We'll all taste these beers. It's not going to be an official judging, and then uh, eventually we'll have a show on table beers, and we will invite the top three people to come on and join us. And you're, here uh, on if the you're radio. out of state, we'll pay your gas for the party. <laughs> I, I don't mean that Heritage Radio Network. Well, that's what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack's like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so start thinking about table beers. I think those are really nice to have, and I'm a little obsessed with like getting any flavor from that low of alcohol. So th- start thinking about that. We also want your feedback, so we're going to ask for that as well. Um, we're going to ask for your comments on our Facebook page, on our website, or please emails at fomentaboutit at gmail.com. We're going to take everybody who comments and gives us feedback. What do you want to hear? What do you want us to talk about? Who do you want on as guests? We're going to take all the comments. We haven't forgotten the rice wine thing. We're working on it. We'll get That's true. And we're going to choose a winner. And we're the winner um, will raffle a winner from everybody who comments. And they were going to get a guided tasting at 508 with Chris and myself. Hey. So we'll have some beer and some food and some fun. So anyway, please let us hear from you. We'll put that information on our website uh, probably tomorrow. And thanks for listening to Forget About It on yep. Heritage Radio. We're Network. doing wine next week, so tune in. Why not? <laughs> thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.